guys, it's Kalia here. Welcome back to my podcast. Um, there is a slight trigger warning for this topic because it may be upsetting for some. I am talking about the foster care system and how it affects indigenous children and what um events came what events happened for us to get like this. For years and years, indigenous children have been mistreated, moved around, and almost forgotten about. From residential schools, the 60s scoop, the millennial scoop, to what I like to call the modern day scoop, nothing has changed. Indigenous children are still being removed from their homes and placed with white families, and their culture is being forgotten. I know, because I am one of these children. Of all the children in foster care in Canada, 52.5% are indigenous, but this being said, there's only 7.7% that are accounted for, which means there could be much more, and there definitely is, because a lot of Indigenous children don't even know they're Indigenous. A circling issue in Indigenous culture is poverty. 38% of Indigenous children are living in poverty, and this is one of the many issues contributing to why there are so many Indigenous children in foster care. Other reasons include neglect, mental health issues, addictions to alcohol and drugs, unsafe housing and environments, isolation, and poverty. As I already mentioned, why are these issues relevant and present, you may ask? Well, I have a question for you. Why do you think? It all started with the residential schools. The residential schools were created in Canada by Canadians to help assimilate our culture. And let's just say, it worked. They thought this would help us adjust to their culture better so we could be more like them. They thought it would be easier to change children's views than it would be for adults, seeing as children aren't fully developed yet and don't have a full developed mindset. They would collect children from their reserves and place them into schools where they would learn English and more about the English ways. It doesn't sound bad, actually, when you think about it. It sounds kind of sweet, kind of nice, like they were trying to help us. That's not the case at all, though. Some children would want run away before they would be taken to the schools because of the horrors they would hear about them. Upon arrival, the children would be washed down with a power washer and scrubbed clean. They thought our skin was dirty. If they had siblings, they were separated from them, some never to see each other again, and some would have to wait a few years before they saw each other again. They had their hair cut, and this is very significant because in indigenous culture, long hair represents spiritual growth and a strong identity. By having their hair cut, that took that away. They were numbered and separated by gender, which isn't too bad, other than we were nothing more than numbers. The days they spent there, they were forced to be taught English, a language a lot of children didn't understand. And if they spoke in their own native language, they would get punished. They would be forced to pray pray and learn about God, someone a lot of them didn't believe in. Because we as indigenous people, we have our own spiritual beliefs. 
and having a religion pushed down your throat doesn't help you. And if they didn't participate, they would get punished for it. For meals, they were forced to eat porridge, soups, and most of the time, frozen meat. They fed them this because they thought we were used to eating like this. While they were at the schools, children were physically, emotionally, and sometimes even sexually abused. This was a very traumatic experience for children to face, but luckily, the last residential school closed in 1996. Here you think everything ended, right? Well, that isn't the case. The 60 Scoop and Millennial Scoop. The 60 Scoop and Millennial Scoop are very similar. If not, they're the same exact thing. Both scoops removed a great number of indigenous children from their homes and they would be placed in care or be adopted by mostly, if not all, white families and forced to adapt to the new way of life they had to live by. They continued what happened at residential schools just more secretly and it was very what's the word diabolical i think that's the word it's pretty evil sounding to me i don't know about you but it sounds awful to me today this is still happening to many children myself included in what I like to call the modern day scoop, indigenous children are still facing discrimination for being indigenous. At the age of three, I was separated from my biological parents and placed in the foster care system. I didn't even know I was indigenous until I was around 10 years old. I am of Cree and Ojibwe descent. I don't know what band specifically I'm from because my mom, grandmother, grandfather, and aunts all went through what I went through. We were taken away from our parents because of addictions and mental health problems. When I first found out I was indigenous, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, who wouldn't? Being indigenous is pretty awesome. I would go around telling everyone I was indigenous. Little did I know, this would cause issues and even danger in the future. I often got told that I was too white to be indigenous. Like, what the heck is that even supposed to mean? Or even by some of my foster parents, I'd be told that I was the whitest Indian they've ever seen. Kids will call me a savage at school, and when I mean say savage, I don't mean the cool savage. I mean the aggressive one. They would say I got special treatment at school because I was indigenous and people felt bad for me. They would make jokes about how I ate raw meat and how I painted my face and wore weird costumes. 
Number one, the costumes aren't weird. Number two, the proper term for the costumes, you like to call it, it's regalia. I would constantly get asked by my teachers what indigenous people lived, where they lived, how they lived. And when I was unable to answer the questions that were connected to my culture, they would tell me I was a fake Indian. The last time I checked, you're the teacher, not me. I'm your 10 year old student, not the other way around. At home, at home my bad, or what I would call home, they put me to work because I was used to it apparently. It ran in my blood because I was an Indian and nothing else. They would feed me cold porridge and sometimes would put a piece of bread and cold stew in front of me for dinner. For those of you who don't know, they thought it was funny because I used to do this at residential schools. I started to hate being indigenous. I wanted nothing to do with my culture. I wanted it to go away. I also had Christ Christianity pushed down my throat. Everything was done for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and no one else. If I did anything bad, God would know. If something bad happened in my life, it was God. Anything that happened to me, good or bad, it wasn't the person's fault who did it to me. It was God. So when I got beaten, yelled at, or assaulted by people, I blamed God. I hated God. I hated being indigenous. While I was living with the family who would feed me like I was at a residential school most of the time, I was living with this family, the one that would feed me like I was at a residential school. That was very fun. And that would push Christianity down my throat. I started questioning my sexuality. Which is actually completely normal in indigenous culture, and has been for years. There's been no judgment against it. I sadly didn't know this. I was forced to pray for hours, locked up in the cellar, whipped with belts. God didn't love me. No one did. I was just the gay little Indian girl that no one would ever love. Much more happened in this home, but I don't need to get into that. Because A, it isn't relevant and doesn't overly relate to this. Although, if I wasn't indigenous, I don't think these things would have happened to me. I luckily got out of that home, and now I am able to express myself, and I actually love being indigenous. It's such an accepting and beautiful culture. I get to be myself without judgment, and the elders and everyone is so open and kind-hearted. They're very wise and easy to talk to. They're very accepting. I love myself because of my culture. If you ever get the chance to go to an, in an indigenous event, like a powwow, a drum circle, or even just a teaching, do it. It will change your life, if only in the smallest way. After I hear a story about my ancestors, or anything, to be honest, I look at life with a new perspective, and I love it. I now also have a very close relationship with God. 
which is so surprising from where I was at. I feel like indigenous children might have been more open to having a spiritual relationship with God if it wasn't forced down their throats. I got to heal a bit. Am I still affected by the trauma I went through? Yes, every single day. Am I ever gonna completely heal from it? Most likely not, you don't easily heal from something like that. No one does, and no one would if they went through that. But now I know what happened to me wasn't my fault. It had nothing to do with me. I was a good kid. I was a great kid. I needed love and guidance, not punishment and God shoved down my throat. I needed to be able to grow and be myself and love myself the way I was and be able to express my culture. But I didn't get to do that because I am an indigenous kid in care. But at least now I know what happened to me wasn't my fault. But some indigenous children aren't as lucky as I am. And they won't ever be as lucky as I would have been. To be honest, I'm not even that lucky. I still face discrimination today for being an indigenous woman. And I go through troubles and hardships just because I'm indigenous. For example, I was at the gym one morning. I was at the gym one morning, Planet Fitness in Bowmanville to be exact. It was 4.30. Don't ask me why I was up that early. I don't know why I'm ever up that early. Because I usually am. <laughs> I have a messed up sleep schedule, but that is completely besides the point. I used to love going to the gym. I liked going early because no one was there and I could weight lift and do what I wanted to do in peace. I was setting up my bike because I rode my bike there and I couldn't find my bike lock. So I was rummaging through my bag and a car pulled up beside me. It wasn't too bad at first. And this could have partially been my fault. I know it wasn't, but I blamed myself a lot for it. Nothing happened to me, I'm fine. But the man started to ask a lot of questions about me. He started to ask where I came from, how old I was, if I had a mom, if I had a dad. I didn't answer all of them. I wasn't gonna tell him where I lived. I told him I was from around the area. It wasn't his business, right? And me not knowing any better, he asked me, what my background was, and I told him I was indigenous. After, that's when the alarm bells went off. I told this man 
I was indigenous and he got so excited to talk to me all of, ex all of a sudden. I then realized that I messed up really badly. I was trying to quickly find my bike lock because I couldn't leave my bike out there unattended, especially because now this guy was interested in me. It was probably one of the scariest experiences in my life. He then started asking if I could be his friend. I told him no, I didn't want any friends, <laughs> which is relatable, who needs friends? But he tried to get out of his car and I told him to stay there because I wasn't gonna be his friend and I didn't want to talk to him anymore. He then got angry and started saying very sexually explicit things towards me and my body It was very uncomfortable and very alarming and unsettling for me. And this all happened after I told this guy I was indigenous. I pretty much told him to F off. I'm not gonna say, say that because this is a school podcast, but I told him that and he went away. I then went into the gym and I texted my foster father and he told me it wasn't that big of a deal. And if he came back, just to be careful. I told my foster mother the same thing. She didn't take it as lightly as my foster father did. We got the cops involved. And little did we know, they are looking for, they were looking or there have been reports about the same man with the same description, talking to young girls, looking for indigenous women. For those of you who don't know, a lot of indigenous women or girls go missing a year because of sex trafficking, murdered, they get murdered, or a bunch of things that we don't know about because it isn't overly covered in the media. Who is there to help us? Who is out there to actually help us? Help us indigenous women, help us, in, help us indigenous girls and children. There is one person I know of. She may look like your typical Karen, but Cindy Blackstock is an amazing activist and has over 30 years of experience working in child welfare and indigenous children's rights. She has published articles. In fact, she has published over 75, and all of these are relating to indigenous issues. She helped found the First Nations Caring Society and was actually the main lawyer in Jordan's Principle, which we talked about a few days ago. She's overall a pretty amazing woman, and we need more people with her mindset, especially nowadays. Everyone is so cruel and selfish, and a lot of people only think about themselves and tell us indigenous people to get over what happened to us. How can we get over what happened to us when it's still happening? When it comes to all the scoops, the system is still doing exactly what it planned to do. They are slowly ridding the indigenous people of their culture. Indigenous children are still being placed with white families and losing their cultural roots. I shared my story and there are multiple others with the same story out there. What can we do? What will you do? Will you sit back and watch this happen? Or will you help solve this growing and ongoing issue. 
Tune in next episode to find out ways you can help. I'm Kalia, and this is me sounding off. Goodbye, guys. Have a great day.